0: Chapter 12 of Aunt Hannah and Martha and John by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Mary Chapter 12 Lessons. It was a fair sight which met the eyes of John's wife the next morning after breakfast as she stepped out on the wide porch. Soft blue distant hills, patches of woods, green meadows, winding streams, and near the orchard, still white with blossoms. The long, old-fashioned front yard was now arrayed in its very best suit of green. Syringus, lilacs, snowballs, and maples. Each side of the stone walk, gay daffodils and jonquils raised their bright heads, while the air was sweet as springing grasses and orchard blossoms ever make it. Mattie looked and breathed a long, delighted, "'Oh!' then springing down the steps ran with all the glee of a child across the lawn to a large lilac bush covered with blossoms she buried her face in a white spray calling to aunt hannah who stood on the steps may i have one pick all you want child said aunt hannah watching her with a curious indefinable pang at her heart for an instant the picture reminded her of her early plans how john would stay on the farm and bring a wife to the old home and there would be light footsteps and young voices and good cheer. Instead of that, she and the old place were growing old and gray together, and no young people or little children to soften the jagged edges of the years. She brought herself back with a laugh, though, when she recalled another part of her plan that brought the square, solid figure of Samantha Brown. She couldn't have run down to the lilac bush like that to save her life, she said to herself. Then this queer old aunt fell to picturing Samantha coming up the walk with a spray of lilac tucked in her belt, contrasting her heavy gait with the slim, straight girl who stepped off like a robin and looked up at her with a winning smile and eyes clear as the spring in the meadow. No, no, this one, delicate, refined, and intellectual, fitted John. Samantha never could. Things were best as they were. "'I have not had such a run since I was a little girl and went out to Grandpa's,' Mattie said, as she came panting and laughing up the steps. "'How nice it is to get off here where there are no prying neighbors to watch you, and one may run or turn somersaults if she can.' "'You are mistaken about that,' Aunt Hannah said. "'There are neighbors all about.' Mattie opened her eyes wide. "'There's a peewee's nest right over the door. The bluebirds have just moved into that soft maple.' and there's a whole village full of robins scattered about this place besides rabbits and squirrels and chipmunks without number the laugh that made response to this was in aunt hannah's ears sweeter than any music the robins ever made how i wish i had been a girl when you were mattie said catching aunt hannah's hand and giving it a loving squeeze you must have been the very nicest sort of a girl then you would be an old woman now when john is a young man think of that Think of it that would never do. It is best as it is. But now I must go right to work, aunt Hannah. I want to learn to make bread, and there isn't a moment to be lost. No, you are going to play for one whole day, Martha. We'll start some bread tonight. Put on your hat and stay outdoors. I'll come out too by and by when I have set things to rights so a little. I don't like to play alone. We'll both set things to right said Mattie, and she went into the house. And then she followed Aunt Hannah upstairs, down cellar, from pantry to milk-room, chatting, watching, and admiring the deft ways in which everything was done with so little bustle, with calmness and precision, and yet with rapidity. "'I ought to stay a whole year and watch you work,' she said, at last, almost despairingly. "'You do it so easily, and make everything go smoothly. Now I spill things, and I soil my apron, and get into a fluster, and look as worried as if the cares of the nation were upon me. John says I am getting a pucker between my eyes. How do you manage to keep so cool? Why, anybody can do it who is not in a hurry. I am not hurried because I give myself plenty of time. I always get up early. That is one secret of getting time by the forelock. If you don't do that, time gets you, and jerks you about all day without any mercy.' "'Yes, I know,' said Mattie deprecatingly. "'That is my besetting sin. "'I am so fearfully sleepy in the morning. "'John gets up and makes the fire, and I mean to get up, "'but before I know it I'm asleep again, "'and then I am late and have to fly.' "'And that wears out your nerves and puts puckers in your forehead. "'Why don't you go to bed earlier, child?' "'Oh, we think we will, "'but our evenings are almost the only time we have to read together.' "'and it seems a pity to cut them short. "'Sometimes it's after eleven o'clock before we are asleep.' "'Nevertheless, that is what ought to be done,' Aunt Hannah declared. "'Young folks must have sleep enough, some way or other. "'You can't cheat nature without getting the worst of it in the long run. "'She is an exacting old lady, and wants folks to toe the mark. "'Why, the freshness of the morning is the very time for work. "'You can do as much again in an hour then.' "'Now, Martha,' aunt hannah said that evening as she tied on a clean apron come out in the kitchen and we will set the sponge for bread and then there followed a lesson which would have done credit to a teacher in a modern cooking school mattie reviewed it as they went back to the sitting-room laughingly telling off on her fingers good flour how to tell it sift it yeast water only tepid stiff batter no lumps tuck it up warm must not put it too near the fire twill scald yeast aunt hannah was too wise a teacher to imagine that one lesson in bread-making would serve the young housekeeper she arranged that two loaves of bread should be made each day and after the first two bakings left mattie to herself being always within hearing to advise to drop hints and give bits of lectures on the quantity of flour to be used the kneading the rising the baking you may have everything right all the way through she said and spoil your bread by putting it in the oven before it is ready or by not putting it in when it is ready. Shakespeare says, you know, that there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Now it is something like that with bread. There comes a minute when your bread is just light enough. If your oven is ready, you pop it in, and forty minutes it is out, light, sweet, and brown. But just let it stand an hour after that favoring minute comes, and your bread will be sour and unfit to eat." The oven must be right too, neither too hot nor too cold, if you would have perfect success. How many ingredients besides yeast and flour it takes to make good bread, mattie said, as she tucked a blanket about the yellow bowl and again she counted on her fingers, a habit which greatly amused aunt Hannah. There's energy, strength, patience, early rising, attention, judgment, discernment, and what else? Gumption, said aunt Hannah. But that's all of them put together. And what is there in the world that is worth doing that does not take everything there is in you, if it's well done? The young woman stood with thoughtful eyes a moment. Then she said, It is so, isn't it? It ennobles work to realize it too. And then she fell into a reverie about Aunt Hannah, who had spent her life in this one spot a farmer's wife. She had not had advantages of society or travel, and yet how truly refined and large hearted she was how self-reliant and really cultured, seasoning her cooking lessons with quaint remarks and quotations from Shakespeare. It was only the mornings which were devoted to the kitchen. The afternoons were given to resting or to wandering about the country behind old Dolly, indulging in long, delightful talks which reached higher and further than kitchen lore. Their talk one day ran upon growth in grace. "'Sometimes I feel almost discouraged with myself,' Mattie said because I'm not so good as I used to be. I thought I had perfect control of my temper for as much as two years, but now I begin to think it was because I had not much to try me. Mother's almost angelic. One could never lose patience with her, and there was nobody else who came in very close contact with me. I thought I was growing like Mother, sweet-spirited and unselfish, but I'm not. Why, I have even been out of patience with John sometimes, as much as I love him, and the young wife cast a deprecative glance at Aunt Hannah, thinking that surely she would be shocked at such candid avowals. But the gray eyes looked at her kindly, as she said, "'I shouldn't wonder. Satan is never more busy with young people than he is the first year or two of their married life. The trouble is, a young couple start out, in spite of anything that is told them, expecting to find each other perfect. Of course they are not, and so they are both disappointed, now, if they would be more reasonable, and believe that they will discover some faults in each other, and that they must bear and forbear, and seek the help of the Lord in it, loving each other, faults and all, Satan would not get the hold of them that he does. John is not perfect by any means. I could have told you that long ago if you had asked me. He's better than I am, Mattie said, sadly. He does not take offense so easily. No, a man as a general thing doesn't but there is this to be said about that his blunders are often the cause of the offence he is a heedless creature but most women are too touchy they don't make allowances for the different nature of a man if a wife would speak out frankly to her husband when something worries her it would be far better not in a fault-finding way little misunderstandings could be cleared up at once but instead of that she takes some little thing that has hurt her and broods over it and sheds oceans of tears over it, and it grows and grows, and then she puts on the face of a martyr, and her answers are all in one syllable, and her eyes have a red rim around them. Her husband doesn't know what is the matter, or he has forgotten if he ever did know. That is oftentimes the history, I dare say, of the beginning of trouble in unhappy marriages. But Aunt Hannah, a man would soon grow tired of being called to account and of being obliged to explain things continually, no the right sort of a wife who has a good husband will not allow herself to worry about mere trifles that is if she has good sense if she hasn't more's the pity for both of em when she is tempted to go distracted over some little thing about as big as the point of a pin she will say get thee behind me satan you are not going to pick a quarrel this time my husband means all right and i shall trust him even if he does forget some of the little attentions i am used to i read something the other day mattie said that vexed and troubled me the author who has quite a reputation said that all marriages had their pitiful side that people expected much happiness and were always deceived that all attachments were mere glamour which fell upon the senses and if truth were known most marriages proved unhappy after the spell was broken, it was a mere cooperative housekeeping, with a state of harmonious mutual indifference, or else the yoke became intolerable, and each longed to be free, in short, that there was no such thing as lasting affection in the marriage relation. I know this is not the case with my father and mother. Are they exceptions? What do you think, Aunt Hannah? You were married a great many years, and you have had time to observe many couples. I think the man who wrote that was in the same fix I'd be in if I undertook to explain a sentence of Latin or Greek. I shouldn't know B from a bumblebee. No more did he. It sounds like those infidels trying to talk down our religion. Their talk is perfectly foolish, because they don't know a thing about the other side of the question, and can't know it till they have had an experience. It is the same with the man who wrote that about marriage." how could he suppose that the lord himself would plan it and speak of it as he did if it was meant to be no more than that you know marriage is used again and again in the scriptures as a figure of the union between christ and the church the marriage supper stands for the most glorious and joyful day that can ever come to us and would he have said that a man was to leave everything and go with his wife and that they should be one if it was intended to be only a sort of partnership for convenience it is altogether likely it was some young fellow wrote that who hadn't learned how to care for anybody yet but himself and was just at the age when of course he knew it all i don't much like to talk about myself but being you have asked me a question i'm going to answer it when i married nathaniel adams it was because i should have been a most unhappy creature if i hadn't i don't pretend to understand it all how one year i never had seen him and the next i cared more for him than anybody in the world it's a great mystery. I always thought the Lord sent him to me. The Bible says that a good wife is from him, and so, of course, a good husband must be. I only know that I never got tired of him. To the last day of his life, a room was always pleasanter to me if he was in it. When I was in Duchess County, I attended a women's rights convention. When I heard them talk about men—such domineering, selfish, cross-grained creatures as they made them out to be—thinks I to me— Poor souls! It seems none of you has a good husband like Nathaniel, or she would speak out on the other side. I felt sorry they hadn't heard there was such a being as a husband who was patient and kind and unselfish, the very best and dearest being on the earth to his wife. Why, I have often thought I had a better idea of God from being so many years with Nathaniel. He was so strong and protecting-like, and so wise and pure-hearted. Aunt Hannah's voice trembled and there was silence, for Martha knew her thoughts were going back over the years rich in sacred memories. I'm ashamed to grieve, she said, as she wiped away a tear. Such a long, happy life as we had together. I'm more blessed in having even the memory of such a man than some women are in their living husbands. Oh, Aunt Hannah, I'm so glad to hear you talk so, Mattie said, with a relieved sigh. That article really troubled me, I have such a horror at the thought of John and me ever becoming the sort of married people I have seen, continually bickering, or else perfectly indifferent to each other. I should wish to die now if I thought it would ever be so with us. I couldn't endure it. I do not see how people who have ever loved each other can get into such a state. I should never wish my husband to consider me a part of himself so thoroughly that he would feel free to ignore me and bestow his attentions on everybody else. Why is it, Aunt Hannah, that before marriage some men treat women as if they were queens, but after marriage they are often positively rude to their wives? Well, there are two sides to that. Sometimes it's the fault of the wife. She doesn't keep up her part as she did before she was married. He sees she's nothing but a common white dish, and he thought she was the finest china. He fixed her up with all manner of goodness and graces that— if she has, she doesn't think it worth while to practice now they're married. She told him beforehand that he suited her exactly, that there wasn't a man like him in all the world, and then she goes to finding fault with him. He is surprised to find that her tongue has a little sting in it that she always kept out of sight before. Is it any wonder that he lets her down a peg from that high place where he put her? After all, Martha said meditatively, if two people once love each other very much, they always do, in spite of occasional jars, unless something very dreadful happens. Don't you think so, Aunt Anna? No, I can't say as I do. Love isn't going to grow and flourish when everything is against it. Did you notice that rose vine at the east end of the front porch putting out new branches all over it? It will be full of roses pretty soon. That vine has been the wonder of the neighborhood for ten years. Now suppose I never watered it or fed it with good rich earth from the woods, or dug about it, what a stunted, sickly thing it would have been. You have to take care of everything that's worth having in this world. Love will die from neglect and abuse as quick as a rose-bush. And there's another thing. We are apt to love what is lovely, and a man or woman who acts half the time like the northeast rainstorm, glum and sour, can't find fault if love doesn't hold out." End of chapter 12